Our gracious Father, we come before you tonight with hearts that want to continue in an attitude of worship and in the hope, Father, that we would hear your voice and draw closer to you in this time. I pray for the nation of Israel as we were talking about the things going on over in the Middle East. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Father, we know that Jerusalem will not truly be at peace until your son returns. So, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And if you come tonight, awesome. If you're waiting a little while longer because you got some things to do, awesome. Help us to be about your business as we expectantly wait for your return. And our business tonight, your business tonight, leads us to your word. So I pray, Father, that you would guide us and teach us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm calling it 1 Kings 12 and 13 part 2 because 1 Kings 12 and 13 last week was just chapter 12. Uh, So I'm going to do a very brief review of chapter 12 and then we are going to dive into chapter 13. So remember back in chapter 11, right? I'm just all over the place now. Uh, Back in chapter 11, Solomon's many wives... Uh, turned his heart away from the Lord to idolatry. As a result of that, uh, there was a prophet by the name of, uh, I got to find it, Ahijah, who told Jeroboam that he would get to take the northern kingdom as the kingdom would be split after Solomon's death. Um, Lo and behold, uh, Solomon heard about that and tried to kill him. Didn't work. Uh, Solomon died, and then and, uh, Jeroboam came back. All Israel gathered to make his son Rehoboam king. When they gathered, the people made a request of the new king and said, you know, uh, your dad you know, really taxed us heavily. We, we could use a break. And he said, well, give me three days. And he goes and talks to the older men, and the older men said, yeah, give him a break. You know, your, your dad really worked him. And he went, goes to his friends, and his friends say, nah, tell him you're going to make it worse. So he goes and he listens to his idiot friends and he tells them that he's going to make things worse and the 10 northern tribes say, okay, bye. Which, when God told Jeroboam that he would be king, right? uh, Rehoboam plans a civil war and God tells him no. And God told Jeroboam, when you're king over the northern kingdoms, if you follow my ways, if you do the things that I tell you to do, then I will establish you and I will give you Israel. Right? What a great promise. So Jeroboam's on the job for about eight and a half minutes. He gets back up to the northern kingdom. I don't know exactly the time, but he gets back up to the northern kingdom. He's afraid that the people are going to go back to Jerusalem to worship, so he builds two golden calves. Right? Jeroboam lasted, yeah, not very long uh, before he sank into idolatry. Uh, when that happened, we kind of ended up last week with two things. One, Jeroboam should have known better. He shouldn't have done that. And two, the people shouldn't have followed him into this idolatry. He created his own feast. It's in verse 32 on the eighth month when, um, I think it was the Feast of Tabernacles was in the seventh month. Um, and the people just kind of said, okay. Right? I just read this back in Exodus. Aaron did the same thing. 
Moses is up on the mountain. The people come to Aaron and they say, Aaron, we, we don't know what happened to Moses. Make us a god. Now, the moment you can make a god, you're in trouble. It's like uh, when they stole the gods from the guy back in the book of Judges. I can't remember the names there. Um, and and he, he chases them down. And he said, why did you steal my gods? I'm like, if you can steal them, probably not gods. I mean, best guess. And make us God. You can't make us God. So Moses comes down the mountain and Aaron says, we threw the gold in the fire and the calf just came out. He just lies. And God deals with that. But in Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered the religious leaders. They said, we must obey God rather than men. Yeah, this is your new king. And the moment he told you to disobey God, you should have looked at him and said, uh-uh. But they didn't listen. And chapter 13 will take us on a journey uh, that's, it's got one of the most interesting um, accounts in the Old Testament to me. And, uh, but we'll get there in a moment. So chapter 13, 1 Kings and verse 1. And behold, right? So they just started worshiping these false idols in the northern kingdom. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall be split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying arrest him. Then his hand which he stretched out told, toward him withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God. Notice that. The Lord your God. Not the Lord my God. The Lord our God. The Lord God of Israel. No. The Lord your God. And pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God entreated the Lord. And the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Good job, man of God. Right? For now. So God sends a man of God. We are not told who he is. Uh, I do think it's interesting, and again, you can go back to chapter 11, that um, Ahijah, uh, I got to follow it, that Ahijah the Shilonite met him, this is verse 29 of chapter 11, on the way, and he closed himself with a new garment. Uh, no, that's not the verse. Anyways, there's a place where Ahijah is called a man of God. So I don't wonder if this man of God isn't Ahijah, it could be, we're not told. And it doesn't really matter. So 
God sends this man up to proclaim judgment against the false idols that Jeroboam had set up. And he speaks of a future king. Now, this is so stinking cool. We're going to get to it in a minute. So he speaks of this future king, Josiah, who would do this, right? He would kill the false priests on that and burn men's bones on it. And the sign that this would come to place is that the altar would split. So Jeroboam tries to arrest him, stretches out his hand and says, you know, go, somebody go grab that guy. And his hand withers. Now, what does that mean? Right? We have another instance where Miriam's hand was uh, turned leprous. Is that what happened? Or did God simply just shrivel this dude's arm up so there was nothing but skin and bone hanging off? We don't know. Whatever happened, Jeroboam asks for mercy and is given it, which isn't required. God did not have to be merciful to Jeroboam. He could have said, no, man, you're, you're leading my people into idolatry. Live with your withered hand. But he doesn't. Uh, when the man of God prays, he restores his hand. And then the, Jeroboam, all excited that he gets his hand back, looks at the man of God and says, hey, come home with me. I'll give you something to eat and I'll give you a reward. And the guy says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right? If you were to give me half your house, I wouldn't even walk in the door. God told me, don't eat bread while you're there. Don't drink water while you're there and come back a different way. This is what God told him. Now, um, here we have a beautiful example of how we know when prophecy is true. The man of God looked at Jeroboam and he said, Josiah is going to come. He's going to uh, kill the priests on this altar and burn the bones on this altar. And you're going to know it's going to happen because the altar's going to split and the ashes are going to get poured out. As soon as Jeremiah says, arrest him and his hand withers, what happened? The altar was split and the ashes poured out. This is how we know when prophecy is true. If somebody prophesies something and it comes to pass, it's true. If somebody prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, they should be very grateful. We're under the new covenant because under the old covenant, they were supposed to be killed. Um, but that's how we know. Right? God make, God, I love that God makes things simple for us. Want to know how to be saved? Believe in Jesus. Thanks, Lord. You want to know how prophecy is true? Did it come to pass? If it didn't, then it's not true. You would have think, you would have think, you would have thought that after his hand was withered and then healed, and after the altar split and the ashes were poured out, that Jeroboam would have gone, you know what? I made a mistake. I shouldn't have built these false gods. This is the one true God. God, I'm sorry. Right? You told me I was going to be king. Now I'm king. You told me to take care of your people. I blew it. Please forgive me. And you know what would have happened? God would have forgiven him. I know that. But he refuses to repent. We're going to see that more clearly at the end of the chapter. Let's talk about Josiah. Josiah will not be born for 300 more years. The Josiah that the man of God prophesied about. Josiah would not do to this altar what the man of God said Josiah would do with this altar until he was 25 years old. So this prophecy would not come to pass for 325 years. But we, because God is so good and has given us his word, um, and you are welcome to turn up there. We're not going to do it now. 
Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 23, this is recorded for us. So here we have the prophecy. We have a sign that the prophecy will be fulfilled with the splitting of the altar. And then you can turn up to 2 Kings 23 and you can see this take place. The fulfillment of prophecy is one incredible evidence of the accuracy and trustworthiness of God's word. Because if we read through the Old Testament and we saw all of these prophecies and none of them came to pass, we could take the whole book and toss it out. But we can't do that. Now you can sit down and find over 300 prophecies that Jesus alone fulfilled at his first coming. And that, that doesn't even get into all the prophecies about world ruling empires and all the prophecies about um, the nation of Israel itself and so on and so forth. And because all of those prophecies were fulfilled, we can then look at all the prophecies that haven't yet been fulfilled and we can look at them with expectation. Because God keeps his word. I mentioned this as we were reading. Jeremiah, wow, Jeroboam asks the man of God to pray to the Lord your God. Jeroboam served under King Solomon. He was probably at the dedication of the temple because he oversaw the labor force that built it. He was a high official. Jeroboam believed the word of God from Ahijah the prophet that he would be king. And now he has departed. He has gone so far away that he doesn't even claim God as his own God anymore. And this, this is a relatively short period of time. We're not given the exact time frame, but this is a relatively short period of time. And I just think that is so terribly sad. Now, I, I've hit on it a couple times. I'm going to say it one more time. The man of God refused to go with Jeroboam. And in verse 9, this is why. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. Now the man of God received a word from God, a word that he now knows was true, because the word of God included the splitting of the altar and the spilling of the ashes. So now he has this confirmation that the word he received from the Lord is true. Part of that word was, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, and come home a different way. Verse 11. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak tree. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread, nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. Good job. I'm sorry, I can't. God told me to do something else. I can't do that. Verse 18, he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel 
spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. And I don't know if your Bible has these little parenthesis marks. He was lying to him. So he went back with him. Man of God, why? And ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who brought him back. This boggles my mind. I don't even think I put this in my notes. But it just boggles my mind that this guy straight up lied to this other guy, but then the Lord still used him to deliver a message. So he went back, oh, sorry, and the word of the Lord came, who had brought him back, verse 21, and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread and drink water in the place which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Now, if I'm the man of God sitting there with this old guy, he'd be like, Dude, you lied to me. Not that it would have mattered. So after he'd eaten bread, and after he'd drunk, he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And the corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road, and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it, and he went out and found the corpse, thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. That's, that is just weird. I mean, clearly, this is the work of God, working through this animal, because um, lions don't do that. Lions don't kill something and not eat it. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, verse 29, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb and they mourned over him saying, Alas, my brother. So it was after he buried him that he spoke to his son saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. But again, he made priests from every class of people for the high places, whomever he wished. He consecrated them and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth which we'll see next week. I am astonished by this whole scene. Just mind-boggling. The man of God has his orders. The king offers him reward. And he says, nope, I got to do what God told me to do. This old prophet hears about it, finds him sitting under an oak tree, and says, come back. And the kid says, I'm guessing he's a kid, I don't know. The man of God says, no. This is what God told me to do. The old man tells a lie. And the man of God believed it. Now, they're sitting down to dinner. man of God looks at him and gets a word from God. Hey, I've received a word from the Lord. You're going to die for your disobedience. But I, what, uh, right? 
So the lion comes up. I want to know how the lion got him off the donkey without hurting the donkey. And what a strange sight it must have been for the people who bring this into the city. They're walking along the road. There's a dead guy on the road, right? And if they're good Jewish people, they're not going to touch the dead guy unless he's a relation. And just a lion and a donkey sitting there next to the dead guy. The old man goes and gets him. He comes back and buries him in his own tomb and says, when I die, bury me with him because the word that he spoke will come true. I have very little explanation for this. The man of God should not have listened. The old prophet should not have lied. I am not exactly sure what else you do with that. Don't worry, I have a lot more notes. In Acts 4, 19 through 20, Peter and John answered and said to them, this is the religious leaders, they were before the Sanhedrin, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. This man could have looked at the old prophet and said, you know what? If you've received that word from the Lord, good for you. But this is what God told me to do and I'm going to listen. It's exactly what Peter and John said to the Sanhedrin. Okay, you're, you're telling us to do this, right? And you have to imagine how hard that would have been for Peter and John. They were Jewish men. They were raised in synagogue. They were raised to respect the Pharisees. They were raised to obey the high priest. And they looked at them and said, if you think we should listen to you more than God, that's up to you. But we can only tell the people what we've, what we've seen and what we heard. And that's what this man of God should have done. So I think this is something we need to listen to. On Sunday, uh, not this past Sunday, but a week ago, because I was supposed to do this last week, uh, we talked about the importance of hearing and obeying God's word. We focused on the primary way we hear the voice of God in our lives through his word. Uh, and we talked about how there's a lot of other voices that will try to distract us. The world will tell us we don't need Jesus. God tells us we do. The world will tell us we don't need to follow the word, but God tells us we do. There are some who will claim to be speaking to us from God and that we should always then weigh that against the word of God. God spoke to the man of God. He had God's word. It doesn't matter what the other prophet said. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what their credentials are. If it doesn't line up with this, it's wrong. Period. Galatians 1, 8 and 9, Paul writing to the church in Galatia says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be be accursed. I like that verse. The word accursed there in Greek is the word anathema. And, uh, you know, you have, I, I don't know, we really don't have curses. <laughs> Some people think they can put a curse on you, but they can't. Um, but this word accursed is way harsher than the word, the way we typically see the word curse or use it in our, our uh, vocabulary. 
The word anathema means destined for destruction. So if anybody brings you any other gospel, let them be destined for destruction. Now, when Paul was teaching us about prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29 said this, let two or three prophets speak, right? So we're not to forbid somebody who has some sort of encouraging word or even a prophetic word. We're not to discourage them from sharing that. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Ooh, see, that's, that's where I think we fall short sometimes um, in, in the, the, the general church world. Because uh, we have a lot of people out there claiming to be prophets, right? They got their YouTube channels and, and all this other stuff. And you know what? Just because you call yourself a prophet and you have a YouTube channel or you have a big church or you have a big following, that doesn't change our instructions. Let them speak and then judge. Oh, but we're not supposed to judge the people. We're not judging them. We're judging the word they spoke. And what are we judging it against? We are judging it against the Bible. Because the word for judge here means to separate thoroughly or to discern. Right? We're to take it apart. We are to separate it. We're to look at the pieces. Because you know what? A false prophecy might be 98% true. And that 2% is destructive. So we're to take it apart. And we're to discern whether or not this is right. right? So I'm never going to deny that God can speak to people. Often he speaks to me. Now, I would love it if he parted the heavens and stuck his head through and spoke in a loud booming voice, Jason, don't do that. That would be very helpful on certain occasions. He doesn't do that. He speaks to me through his word. His Holy Spirit will kind of put that still, small voice in the back of my head like, dude, dude, dude. I have to be responsive. He always will speak to us through his word. I heard uh, an old pastor told this story. He said somebody came to him and said, I just, I just want God to speak to me. And the pastor said, read your Bible. No, 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 you don't, I want God to speak to me audibly. And the pastor said, read your Bible out loud. Right? Because he's always going to speak to us through his word. Now, I don't care who it is. And I don't care what a person says. If they claim they have a word from God, if it's not in line from scripture, if it's not in line with scripture, then what they are saying is not from God. And we are instructed to reject it. We're instructed to reject it immediately. And completely, for God will never contradict himself. Now, if the Holy Spirit gives a person a word, which he can do, I know he can do it. I've seen him do it. That is always going to line up with Scripture. Because who inspired Scripture? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not going to write one thing here and then say something different somewhere else. When, when we read in Scripture that God is unchanging, Right? We call it the immu immutability of God. He doesn't change. When we read in Scripture that Jesus, who we are told in the book of John, is the very Word of God, the Logos, the divine revelation, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then when Jesus said something in the Gospels, it doesn't mean something different now than it did then, and it never will. God will never 
contradict himself. At that point, we can dismiss, dismiss whatever they say because we must obey God rather than men. The man of God would have been very wise to do so. And so would we. So how does it come at us today? Because does it come at us with an old prophet coming to us and lying to us? Yeah. Satan's more crafty than that. Right? He has duped millions of people with a false gospel in, in the Latter-day Saints. He has duped millions of people with a false gospel with the Jehovah's Witnesses. He has duped millions upon millions of people with various false religions from around the world. But I don't, you don't see him doing that today. Right? I mean, Mormonism's a couple hundred years old, so is Jehovah's Witnesses. Some of the other religions, thousands of years old. So he's changed his tactics today, hasn't he? Not really. He's just changed the package that he presents them in. His tactic in the garden has God really set. His tactic when he attempted to get Jesus to worship him was to try, and I mean, of course, you can't get the word of God to doubt the word of God. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure he must have known that was a losing battle, but that was so Jesus could experience temptation and then be sympathetic towards us. How does he do it today? Well, he does it so subtly. Well, you know, it's great. Yeah, be a Christian, believe in God. That's awesome. But don't tell other people that this, that, or the other thing is a sin. And how many churches have bought into it? Did you guys hear? I, I don't know. I may have shared this a, a while back. There was this uh, person in a quote-unquote church. This is not a church. Who stood up during their service uh, with a rainbow stole on. Um, uh, the, when you dress in um, um, uh, clergy robes or clerical robes, uh, you would often wear a stole, and that stole usually represented the season or the liturgical season for the church. Um, this person wore a stole that was a rainbow. When this person prayed, he prayed to Mother God. When the Bible has told us clearly that God is our Father. The next day, that church was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. Remember when Elijah was on the, the, the mountain with the prophets of Baal? The God who answers by fire, let him be God. He still answers by fire. You know, and, and we, but we see it everywhere, don't we? We see churches compromising the word of God. We see Christians ignoring the word of God. And this, this isn't meant to pick on any of you. You all are great people. <laughs> um, and, and if you're not reading your Bible, then get into the word. I know you are. You know, but it just, it just astonishes me. I saw one. And this is the last one I'll share and then we'll close. Um, it was uh, one of the TBN guys. And I can see his face. Uh, oh, now I can't remember his name. Ah, it's probably better that way. Um, but this person was preaching on tithing because that's all they ever preach on, right? Is that, that God, God is going to heal you if you give enough money to the church. That's their message, right? That's the prosperity gospel. 
So he said, for, and this, oh, it made my skin crawl. If I had been in the building when it happened, I would have walked up on stage and punched him, I think. Uh, and I would have been right to do so. So he, he takes, he's in the middle of his, his tirade and he stops. He goes, hey, now I'm going to speak to the poor people here. Yeah, I'm going to speak to the poor people here. Now, if you're poor and somebody helps you out, right? You can't pay your rent and somebody helps you with rent or somebody, you can't afford food and somebody gives you money to buy food, then you need to tithe because that's part of your increase. If you can't buy food and somebody gives you money for food, you don't have to tithe on that. That is God providing for you. You should be thankful for it. You don't have to tithe on that. I was just astonished. Now, this was a, a video that somebody was sharing because of how heretical this was. But is it really a wonder that when you tell people you're a Christian, you know, if they've seen that, that they have doubts? Is it really a wonder, you know, when I tell people I'm a pastor, oh, well, all you want is my money. I saw this guy, you know, and it's why I have nothing to do with the church finances. Just boggles my mind. In the last couple of verses, we're told Jeremiah, or Jeremiah, wow, I can read. It says it right there. Jeroboam refused to repent. Um, and in chapter 14, we're going to see the consequences that come from it. It's really interesting because Jeroboam will sends his wife to Ahijah the prophet when their son was sick. And you remember Ahijah was the one who told Jeroboam he'd be, he would be king. So that's, that's interesting. We'll see that next week. Until next week, may we never be so stubborn as to refuse to repent when God gives us clear warnings to do so. And may each of us be so filled with God's spirit and the truth of his word, that if we come across a false prophet or we come across false teaching, they will not be able to deceive us. Because, you know, none of us are so mighty or so smart or so well-versed in scripture that we are above being deceived. And the only way we're going to avoid it is by paying attention. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory for your great love and grace, for your son, Jesus, who you gave to us so we could be saved, for your word, may it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, may we hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Father, I want to take those last couple things I said and, and make that our prayer. Father, if, when we need to repent, not if, but when we need to repent, let us not be so stubborn as to ever refuse to do so when you clearly point it out. And God, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with the truth of your word. Jesus prayed that you would sanctify us by your truth. And your word is that truth. And I pray that you would. The world may think of us as odd or crazy or whatever. But when we're following you, it doesn't matter what they think. And I pray you would give us that grace to never fall into the deception of our enemy, but to walk in your truth by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.